I love it when they do these skits and these dramas that hone in on the central truth and that we all can relate at some time or another to each one of those categories of people, whether it's a love of money or a loss of time in which we, uh, we are just absolutely bound to the remote control or, or whatnot. And I think what is amazing about the skits and what about the drama is that the drama gives a snippet of the drama that unfolds in our lives. And while we can laugh about uh, the, the drama itself and the, the different characterizations that we have an affinity towards, it nonetheless really does preach the reality that when you and I come into the presence of a real and personal God, He is always interested not only where we are, He's interested where we've been, but He's far more interested in where we're headed. And our hope at First Baptist Church and the hope of the gospel is that we would live in such a way that our lives, whether at church or at home or at work or at school, would bring glory to Jesus Christ. That we would be defined by this one who has gone before us, this one who has uh, given his life for us. And the Apostle Paul writing in Romans, and I've already mentioned this in Romans chapter 13, verse 11... He wants to make sure that the church, particularly the church in Rome, understands the present time that they're living. And there's nothing, there's nothing more like the present for us to realize. And we need to think about the times that we're living in. Now, uh, I'm not a doomsday preacher, uh, and I don't spend a lot of time uh, dabbling into prophecy and prophetic matters. But I will tell you that our world is absolutely mesmerized about what is to come. Uh, they, you know, if you go to the Christian bookstores, no, top-selling books are about end times. Top-selling books are on understanding the hidden meaning of Revelation. In fact, 10 or so years ago, there were a number of books that came out entitled like the Bible Code or this or that. And all these books were trying to hone in on this underscored, underwritten message that we would all miss if we, if we didn't follow their books or follow their teachings. And when I worked at the Christian bookstore in the late 90s, the number one books that were sold were always on prophecy. Everybody wanted to know what it was going to be like when Christ came back, what it was going to be like when the trumpet sounded, what it was going to be like for the dead in Christ to rise. And we have all these images. And, of course, Hollywood has done some, uh, some attempts at trying to explain what it's going to be like in the end times. And I'm a bit boring when it comes to end times because I frankly don't care. Um, I don't care how it happens. I don't care. It does not matter to me because I have found that I don't struggle. I don't struggle as much in the understanding of the end times as I struggle in mastering Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is the Gospels where we have got to major in. It is the Gospels that we've got to absolutely make sure our lives are aligned to because If we master the gospel and if Christ is at the center of who we are and if we are his children and we are pursuing him and following him, we don't have to worry about what is going to happen in the future. All we have to know is God has got the future in the midst of who he is. So when we look in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writing these words, he wants us to understand the present time. Now, as I mentioned, when I was in the, working at the Christian bookstore, there was a book that came out, um, and it was entitled 1994, question mark. Yeah, 
And uh, it was 1995, by the way. Uh, so 1994 question mark and the whole the whole premise of this book was that God was going to come back in 1994 well we see that he didn't um, and then we put that on the clearance rack uh, because obviously it was outdated and then lo and behold as we get towards the new millennium and uh, y, uh, you know Y2K and all these things that are going on and people are telling us to store water in our basements and making sure that gosh your electronic equipment's not going to work your microwave's going to quit I mean all these scare tactics listen at the university we had classes on how to deal with that anxiety okay uh, and there were you know all these things there were there are electives that you could take in college that taught you how to prepare for this this imminent danger when all the electronic equipment went haywire. As a matter of fact, when I was on staff at a church in the late 90s, uh, it was one of the events, so every New Year's Eve, students would get together, and I postponed it. I'm like, we are not going to do anything New Year's Eve as we bring in the new millennium because I don't know what's going to happen. My microwave didn't quit, though. That's to be known. Uh, But as I look at it, this same, this 1994 book got republished, and the new title of it was 2000, question mark. Uh, and I'm sure it's gone on clearance, rack, uh, clearance racks over the years. The reality is this. Everybody ha- might have an opinion about when God is going to come. And some of us, a lot of us, most of us think to ourselves that, well, I don't think it's that imminent. I don't, you know, I don't think that you know, he's probably not going to come back today or he's probably not going to come back tomorrow. I've got a couple of years or I've got a decade or it probably won't even happen in my lifetime. I mean, we've been going on for all these years I don't, you know, I don't really think, it's not really that bad. The world's really not that bad. I don't know what news station you've been watching, maybe Nickelodeon or PBS, but if you look at the news and you look at what's happening in our world, there are all kinds of things that are going on. And people have deemed it as the signs of the times. And the reality is that the older I get, the more sensationalized the news stories become. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or a decade from now or four score and seven years from now. It makes no difference. But this is the radical truth. We are closer today than we were yesterday. And every day that God gives us opportunity is a day that needs to be spent for His purposes and for His glory. I can't tell you when God's going to come back, but I can most assuredly tell you that you and I better be ready. The Apostle Paul writing these words in Romans chapter 13 says, let, uh, uh, he says, and do this in, in verse 11 of chapter 13, and do this understanding the present time. When you and I look at the present time as it unfolds before our eyes, We can see all kinds of things that are wrong with our world. Every night, the murder rate increases. Every day, there's this report or that report about someone else that's been, uh, uh, that, that has died at the hands of ISIS or at the hands of an extremist. Every day there are news stories about how we're losing this front or we're losing that front. Every day there are stories, even in Christianity Day and even in the religious newspapers, about how the effects of the church 
are becoming more and more marginalized on the culture we're trying to reach. And, uh, you know, I've pastored both churches that are dynamic in the sense of reaching out to people, and I've pastored churches that basically wanted to become a confine in amongst themselves. And the reality is this, the church is the absolute, it is the absolute messenger of God, the hope of God on earth. God is going to accomplish His task through the church, which means God is going to accomplish His task through us. We are the people that need to be all about making sure that our lives are aligned with the Father, making sure our lives are aligned to the scriptural truths. We must understand our present time. There is chaos all around us. There are broken homes all around us. There is poverty all around us. There is addictions all around us. There is death all around us. There is evil all around us. But in the midst of all of that, the church must be the one place that shines the light to all that darkness. The church should be the one place of refuge that anybody in the world, regardless of creed, regardless of sex, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of any and all of these, it should be the one place, the one place that brings hope to a heavy heart. It should be the one place that takes on the needs of all people, not just the needs of a few, the needs of everyone. The church should be the hospital the hospital where everybody's needs are met. And what I see not only, you know, I don't have to travel to Atlanta. I don't have to go to Houston. I don't have to go to Los Angeles. I can go right here in Elizabethan, Tennessee, in our schools, and I'm sure this is true for Carter County schools too, and see brokenness every step of every day. Snotty-nosed kids, smiling faces, Parents that don't want to have anything to do with them. Deadbeat parents is what I will call them. They had a child. They're putting that child in the school. And they're expecting the school to raise that individual. We all, those of you who are educators, you all know people like this. And they're not out there. They're amongst us. And this evil, this lack of parenting, this evil, this addiction. Do you realize how great drug addiction is in this area of northeast Tennessee? Methamphetamine use has skyrocketed over the last decade. Half of the people that are in Carter County Jail are in there as a result of either selling drugs, doing drugs, or the like. Drugs is a common fiber in almost every single person who's been incarcerated as DNA. And the question is, is the church merely going to just sit by and have its quiet little cute little worship services or is the church going to impact that world and impact that culture as we are called to impact everybody's lives? Every single one of us who's here today who has been radically transformed by Christ has had an experience through Him. Every single person here today is a believer Because someone, someone shared the gospel with us. Everybody's life who is here today that can credit their life to the Most High God who's been experienced through Jesus Christ would tell you today and would be able to say today that there is an individual or a group of individuals that invested in me and I am what I am today not because of my own doing. 
But I am what I am today as a result of what God has done through his people. Whether you attended a revival service and a certain preacher's words connected with you, whether that was a Sunday school teacher, whether that was a teacher at school that mentored you, and through that mentoring or through how they treated you or worked with you, you came to know a reality that was greater than yourself and you given your life to Christ. All over this room are stories that have been impacted by people who have been a part of the church. So us being marginalized is not because the gospel is not less relevant today. The church being marginalized is because you and I, who have been radically saved and called by God, have surrendered our responsibility. The church, the spiritual gifts of the church, and one of our great leaders here made a statement and said, there's, not, there's no such thing as a spiritual gift of you get to sit in the pew, okay? That is not a spiritual gift. The ability to sit in the pew week after week is not a spiritual gift. The ability just to say nice things to someone is not a spiritual gift. Our spiritual giftedness and the way that we have been uh, called by God and saved by God, it is to radically impact community around us. And the Apostle Paul knew this. He wanted the church to understand the present time. Look at the days we are living in. Is the end of the world near? Is the time of Christ coming? Is it soon? It is closer than what we might expect. And we must live in a state of what I would call calm urgency. And that's what, this is what I mean by that. It means that we're calm, but we're not fearful of what is to come. Because we know that we have placed our hope, our belief, our confidence, and our faith in the one who created all things. This one who's gone before us, who has radically saved us. We have confidence on the day of judgment because we have faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have confidence in that and we're calm in regards to our faith. But we have this sense of urgency. And this sense of urgency is that there are other people, people in our community, other people around us, friends, family, associates, co-workers, classmates that do not know Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. How many of you in this room know someone today, you know personally today, that does not know Christ. Let me see your hand. Look around. Now, keep your hands up. Look around this room. Look around this room. Every single, you can put your hands down. Every single person in this room has the ability to impact that life that was represented by the hand. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you will diligently, diligently pray and urgently pray for that individual that that hand represents. Because the prayers of a righteous person, the prayers of a person of faith, the prayers of someone who has given their life to Christ, it goes a long, long way. Some of you are in this very room as a direct result of someone praying for you consistently. Some, many of us are in this room today as a result of prayers. Some of you got diagnosed with a horrible disease and you were told you're probably not going to be here six or eight months from now. And through the power of prayer, a miracle of God, and yes, miracles still happen today, through the power of prayer and the work of God, you're here. 
and you're not supposed to be. All because God was faithful to you. All because someone prayed on your behalf. Prayer is power. There is power in prayer. We have to understand the present time. We have to live in a state of urgency. We should all be concerned for the people that we know that do not know Christ. We should be concerned spiritually for their future. We need to be concerned spiritually for their present time. What is their state? All of us know people that are not living lives in accordance to God. All of us know people that are caught up and messed up and mired up in a string of things. Some of those things, addictions. And it's so easy for the church to sit by and watch. And it is so easy for the church, once it gets burned by someone, we just write everybody off. And you know the people I'm talking about. I've dealt with them as many of you have dealt with them. When you deal with lost people, you need to expect them to live in lost ways. You should not expect them to live a righteous life. We should not put that yoke upon them because they've not yet up signed up for that story or for that journey. So when someone comes in, and let me just give an illustration here. When someone comes in who has been a drug addict and they come and they need assistance and we're there to help them. And I've been in church long enough to know uh, sometimes when people come in, people think to themselves, oh, here they are again. Well, what church is it? You know, they've been to this church and that church. Now they're coming here and they're going to get assistance. And we're very quick to offer our very, 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 very curt, rude, unkind, and unchristian word about them. And they come into our domain and they get assistance. And then once they get the assistance, they're gone. We don't see them anymore. And they basically have used us, so to speak. And so many people get upset over that thing. But here's what I want to tell you. That is the world that we're called to reach. The world will always give up on them. But do you realize the impact that you and I could have if when they do these sorts of things, we wouldn't let them get away from us? We continue nudging them. We continue prodding them. We continue talking with them. We continue sharing with them. Because here's the reality. We don't get to give up on anyone I don't care whatever the sin is, whatever the circumstance is. And you and I need to understand that. That Listen, if I want you to think this morning of the worst possible sin that you could commit. Get that in your brain. Bloop. Christ died for that sin. Christ died for it. Now I want you to think of the person that absolutely gets on your nerves that has abused you or abused the church. And most of us could think of a bloop. I should go into sound effects. A lot of us probably have a plethora of personalities and people. Christ died for you. Christ died for that. Those people. They matter to God. And His hope and our hope is that they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Understand the present time. He says the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. As the skit presented this morning, there's a lot of things that are competing for our attention and competing for our allegiance. There's a lot of things that are binding for our time if we give in. But the reality is that we need to wake up, church, 
We need to wake up and realize that it is our opportunity. It is our calling. It is God's mandate on us to be Christ among people. That we need to boldly go out. We need to share the good news of the gospel. And listen, when we share the good news of the gospel, it is messy. There are, listen, you can go today and you can buy a book on how to share your faith. It, 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 don't. Just share your story. Start with your story. It's not complicated. Listen, there are people that go away to college, go to graduate school, and they, they give up on God and they think that they know it all and, and whatnot, and they, 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 they wander away from their roots. My hope is the church will be a prodigal for when they choose to return home. Because the reality is that the truth that we live and the truth that compels us and the truth that is within us can withstand any questioning. It can withstand any scrutiny. It can withstand any criticism that you and I want to throw with it. I have a statement in my office, a sign in my office that says, question everything. Because this is what I know. The truth will set you free. Anything else will tie you down. And the absolute truth of the sovereignty and the hope of Christ is going to withstand any and everything that you and I will ever, ever, ever be able to throw against it. I don't have to defend the faith. I just need to stand for the faith. I don't have to stand against people. I simply need to stand for Jesus Christ because Christ alone is mighty to save. People are not saved because you went on a a crusade against them. People are not saved because you showed up and and you are uh, petitioning or you're picketing some line. People come to Christ because someone invested in their life, did not give up on them, and stood with them through the... Excuse me, through the thick and through the thin, through the high moments and the low moments, and whether or not they ever received gratitude for it, it made no difference. They were there for the long haul because they were Christ's representative. We must be Christ's ambassadors. My hope for members of our community, of our church, is that you will be known not for being a great person who laughs, not for being able to have a good time. That you will be known not simply for your kindness, not simply for your good word, not just simply for your encouragement, but that you and I would be known for our radical fellowship of Jesus. And when we pursue Jesus... When we live in a state of calm urgency in which we are concerned about the spiritual needs of everybody around us, when we very urgently pursue other people, when we pursue people for the sake of the gospel, when we pursue to have relationships with people that are outside of our norm. I mean, let's think about this for a moment. Every day I'm surrounded by believers except for Jesse. Um, you like that? <laughs> Every day, this staff is surrounded by believers. In fact, I would say for Jesse, there's probably a lot of people at the seminary that you go to that they, that, listen, they got it here, but it's not here. And I've talked to some of them. For Chris, Chris is the one, if I could say he's the staff evangelist, he really kind of is because he is in the school system almost every day. And he's interfacing with students 
that some of them don't care about God. They don't care about God's ways. And listen, why should we expect them to care about God's ways? Because they've had no mentor, no model to look to. So Chris engages them in conversation. But more importantly in conversation, he engages them exactly where they are. And I've watched this dynamic. A student could basically curse him out. Resilience. Student could flip him off. He'll just meet him at the coffee company like me. There is a sense of urgency that motivates their ministries. And the sense of urgency that motivates their ministries is to see youth, College seminary students come to Christ. Yes, seminary students need to come to Christ. Now, Leanne, that's upstairs. There is a sense of urgency with children. That's why she put so much effort into Vacation Bible School to see children's lives change. Now, we can tweak what he does. We can tweak what he does. We can tweak what I do. We can tweak what Leanne does. But the bottom line is this. Every single person on this staff is committed to seeing lives changed for Christ. Is there anything more that we would want from the staff of First Baptist Church? I would say no. We want to be an example, not telling you what you need to do. We want to be an example leading you in how to do it. And the way we do it, ladies and gentlemen, is understanding where we are. The way we do it is living in a calm sense of urgency as we pursue other people, as we put our lives in the path of others so that it can garner a conversation, so it can garner a moment. I can't tell you how many times... Conversations happen that have never been planned, but they just happen spur of the moment in a grocery store, in Walmart, out in Johnson City, in a checkout line. And what kind of powerful, powerful things happen when you and I are willing to share our story? John Cooksma, I'm going to pick on him today, he left here the other week and he went to Lowe's. Went to Lowe's on a Sunday afternoon and uh, was, in, you know, was in a suit and there was a lady standing in line and she said, how was church today? He was startled. He said, it was, uh, it, 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 it was good. And uh, he, I, as the conversation went on, he said, uh, well, where do you go to church? Well, I, I don't go to church. I used to be a part of a Baptist church. Oh, here it comes. Uh, and, uh, and she said, but I've, uh, you know, I, I had a, a bad experience of it. And he said, well, you know, uh, she asked him where he goes. And he says, well, I go, to, I go to First Baptist Church. And she goes, oh, that's that one uh, on the hill. And he said, well, it's right across from Jay's Barbecue. She goes, oh, yes. Yeah. She goes, yeah, Southern Baptist. She goes, yeah, I had a bad experience. And listen, all of us have been Baptist bruised. It's okay. Um, and so uh, as the conversation went on, uh, he said to her, he said, well, he said, First Baptist is a different type of church. Uh, it's, uh, it's not your typical First Baptist church. And she goes, well, you know, what do you mean? And he says, well, there are a couple things. And one of the things he said, and uh, some of you are looking at me because you know the story. Uh, I'm not going to share the one thing that he said. Uh, but the main thing he said, he said, oh, we have a pastor who's like an energizer bunny. 
Here's the thing. I don't ever want us to be a typical church. Ever. Ever. I don't ever want us to have a typical relationship with Jesus. I'm not looking for cookie-cutter Christians here, there, and yonder where everybody toes the line, and if you don't look this part, you don't act that part, well, then you can't be in. I'm more interested, I'm more interested in doing what Jesus did, and that is throw out the nets, see what you catch, and deal with what God put in the net than us picking and choosing what kind of bait we use to get people. We need to be engaging all sorts of people, even people that make us uncomfortable. Because that's what Jesus did. And if you and I are going to reach this world today, it's going to require us to think out of the box. It's going to require us to be unconventional in our methods. We will never change the message of the gospel. We will never change the truth. We always, always, always must be willing to change our methodology in order to be able to reach people. We've got to wake up, church. We have to be alert. Look in verse 11 of the passage. Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. In other words, quit being lazy. Quit Attending church, expecting church to serve your needs and begin serving others because that's what we were called to do. That's what the purpose of the church is. This is not a venue that you come in, pay your dues, and you get to watch what happens like going to a concert. This is you pay not your dues, you pay what is rightfully owed to God. Why? Because God has given you, listen, God has given you 90% of everything you owe The 10% is automatically His. It's not for you to decide where it goes. The 10% is His. Period. You're not giving it back. You don't deserve a pat on the back for giving your 10%. I'm so sorry. I don't Listen, if you make a million dollars and you give a hundred thousand, that's great. You don't deserve a pat on the back for that. You did exactly what God said that you should have done alone. Now, if you make a million dollars and you give... $150,000 150000 or $200,000, that's admirable. That means you've given above and beyond what your normal giving is. And you've actually given an offering. An offering. An offering is giving what's not required of you. A tithe is giving what is required. And some of us completely have misunderstood what that means. We must live in a state of urgency at all levels of our lives. We must wake up, be alert, quit trying to live. Listen, quit trying to live a fairy tale. Quit trying to live like the stories that we were raised on as children where at the very last page says, and they all lived happily ever after. That may be the fairy tale story, but it's not the real one. There are people all around us that are not, their lives are not going to end well. There are people in their stories right now, listen, there are issues that have gone on for decades and years and years and years, and they are a product of their environment, they're a product of what they've experienced, and they're not making their lives any better. And when we intertwine with their story, listen, we cannot give them a false hope that everything is going to be okay, because everything may not be okay in the immediate. We have to be willing to be honest, unconventional, and say, look, I know and I hear what you're dealing with. I know and I sense and I appreciate 
your confession of an addiction or I appreciate what you're sharing. God is not finished with you. God's got more to teach you. And you need to pray them through that and help them know that they need to lean into the Father because by leaning into the Father, by trusting in Him, they may not be able to solve their immediate problems, but ladies and gentlemen, they will solve their ultimate problem and that is having an eternity that is completely separated from God. Let no one fall asleep on our watch. Let no one slumber on our watch. Let no one who is lost go to hell on our watch. We have to be urgently committed to sharing the good news of the gospel. Our salvation is closer today than what it was. Our fulfillment is closer today than what it has been. We need to put aside the deeds of darkness. If you look in verse 12 of the passage, he says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. In verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension or in jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Put on the armor of light. What you wear spiritually will ultimately impact how successful you are in the battle. What you wear spiritually will always radically impact your ability to be successful in the battle. Suit up with the armor of light. Give yourself into training for the gospel. Know the God who has saved you and be committed to making Him known. Impact lives where you are. Quit praying for God to do something big in your life and start noticing how God is working in the small areas and be thankful for those small opportunities. We at First Baptist Church are a diverse group of people. In this very room are people who have had successful marriages. There are people who have had broken marriages. There are people who have been on drugs. There are people who have been on drugs that are illegal drugs. There are people who have been on drugs that are prescription drugs. There are people who are addicted to pornography. There are people who have been, uh, have been sexually abused. There are people in this room who have abused others. There are people, listen, every single variety of individual is in this place. But what we must be known by is not how the world would want to define us. What we want to be known by and what we want to be centered in is the Christ who's gone before us, who has given us every opportunity, who has given us hope when we were in hopeless situations. Some of you have battled illness and ailments. Some of you have had strokes and you've come back and you've made, gosh, seem like 100% recovery. You didn't let adversity to define your life. But you used the adversity in a positive way to steer you towards a better and destined future. And that's what we want for all people. To know Jesus Christ. To be defined by Him. 
not be defined by the friends that we have, the clothes that we wear, the cars that we drive, the houses that we live in, not to be defined by the friends that we keep, but by the Savior, not that we have, but that the Savior who has us. My encouragement to you today as we close this morning is simply this. If you raised your hand today and you said, I know, I know someone who is lost, I know someone who does not know Christ. To know that and to sit idle and to do nothing is not to assist the situation. It's to be harmful. You would never want to harm someone. Our role must be to pray for opportunities for that hand that was raised and for that person that's represented by that hand to have the opportunity to share Christ with them. What's going to grow the church? Christ is going to grow the church. How does Christ grow the church? Christ grows the church when the body of Christ, His body, is working efficiently and effectively. Everybody participating and doing their role. And as I said week after week, and I say this week after week, if you date the church, if you've been dating the church, stop it. Just stop dating the church. Stop waiting on a more attractive bride. Stop waiting on a more attractive place. Quit dating Jesus. He's not interested in having a one-night event with you. He's not interested in having dinner every once in a while. He's not interested in a relationship of convenience. He's interested in the one word that is almost foreign to today's generation, and that is commitment. He is interested in our commitment. And just as you and I are committed to our families, we need to be committed to those people that are lost, and we need to be committed to this family. Because our families, your wife... Your mother, your father, your, your children, your grandchildren, those, that family will pass away. But this family will live on into eternity. It matters. It matters. What you and I do here matters. It's time to wake up. It's time to quit wishing your life away. And it's time to commit to Jesus who has made a way where there seemed to be no way, who has never given up on any of us, and who does not desire for us to give up on anyone else ever. We must be consistent, constant, and live in an ultimate calm state of urgency as we share our story, as we share how Christ has moved in our lives and how he's made a difference and has the power to impact them. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we come into this time of invitation, a time of decision. And fathers, so many hands were raised today representing the lost, people who are struggling and fighting. And Lord, there's so many in our midst, in our family, who desperately, desperately need the touch of Jesus Christ. Father, in this invitation as we come, this altar is open. This altar is open for us to intercede for somebody, that is to come on somebody's behalf to pray for them, for spiritual awakening, for others of us who have been slack or lazy in our commitment or in our fellowship of Jesus. 
Father, this invitation is for them to wake up, to feel a sense of urgency, to pray for a sense of opportunity so that we can all work together as the body of Christ, as the eternal family of God, seeking to add someone else to become a member of our family. God, thank you so much for not giving up on us and thank you for putting people in our lives that did not give up on us. Help us to take that experience and translate that into how we relate to people. Never, ever willing to give up on anybody for any reason as we seek to impact the world, as we seek to impact our home, as we seek to impact this county and this state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be with us, Lord, now as we make decisions, as we pray, and as we respond. May you find us faithful. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you perhaps need to trust in Christ, maybe for the first time, Maybe you've heard stories and stories about Jesus, but it's never connected. Maybe you've lived your life your own way, and this morning you say, I want to change. Christ is the change that you need. And our hope and our prayer is that we can partner with you in your journey to make you exceedingly better than you ever thought you could be. If you're here this morning and you've been one of those lazy pew dwellers that simply, basically, sat in the pew week after week and year after year, and you've thought, there's nothing I can do, I've got so many things that you can do. There's so many things that we can be doing as we seek to impact people. For those of you who need to make a decision in the sense of praying for someone, this altar's open. You take this time of invitation to invite the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to invite Him to speak to you directly, him to prod your emotions and prod your actions and your attitudes so that we can all join together in the hope of sharing the greatest story ever told with people in a population that so desperately need it. We need it. They need it. We all need it. We need Jesus Christ now more than ever. Won't you come? Won't you come as we stand?